0: he said, oh, it was a great battle. We fought back and forth and back and forth. They were happy and content until one day,
1: a mischievous tanuki, a badger, began to cause trouble on their
2: farm. We love stories! It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family, all kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. I'm Sam Payne, your host. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you today. It's going to be a great hour, and we're going to tell you stories today about tricks. Now, when I was a kid, I remember when my birthday rolled around or Christmas rolled around and I was getting, say, a board game as a gift from my grandma. She would always go into the kitchen and pull out a mixing bowl or a cake pan or something and turn it upside down on the board game and wrap them up both together so there was no way by the shape of the present that I could guess what was in it. I'd open the present and find that it was nothing like what I thought it was from looking at the gift in the first place and, well, that was a great kind of trick. A fun kind of trick. But tricks can be unpleasant as well. Maybe a monster plays dead and tricks you into coming close only to gobble you up. Or maybe someone asks to borrow money with no intention of ever paying you back. That's an unpleasant kind of trick. Maybe someone bonks you on the head to escape the punishment for their crimes. All of these unpleasant and fantastical tricks actually take place in the stories in today's episode, so pay attention so you can see where those tricks are. We're excited to bring you tales from Heather Forrest. She's going to tell a story called Drake's Tale. You're going to hear from Alton Chung with a story called Tanuki and Usagi. You'll even hear a piece from the great storyteller and songwriter Bill Harley later on in the hour. But to introduce us to the first story that we're going to hear today, I'm pleased to have in the studio with me Trent Horton, one of our assistant producers. Trent, it's great to have you with me. Hey, Sam. It's good to be here. Let's talk a little bit about this James Bruchak story, shall we? We shall. (laughs) Tell us about Asban and the crayfish.
3: Yeah, so I think... I think it's safe to say that everybody likes a good trickster story. (laughs) Um, and I'd have to say this qualifies as a good one, but not because the trick is so brilliant or anything, but I think it's more because of the determination and, uh, grit the raccoon, Asban, Asban is the raccoon, uh, needs to pull it off. (laughs) Asban goes out hunting for, for a crayfish to get himself some dinner. (laughs) And in the ensuing events, the crayfish ends up thinking that the raccoon has died. (laughs) And uh, it's not true, of course, but the crayfish is pretty proud of himself uh, for having killed such a mighty beast. And his reaction uh, reminds me of, if you've ever seen a video of somebody pretending to faint in front of their pet, it's kind of similar, you know. Where uh,
2: they're just. I, I, so I need to shocked. brush up. I need to brush up on my uh, fainting in front of pets videos. That is for sure what I'm going to do tonight.
3: Yeah, no, they're pretty funny because <laughs> I've seen a few. Where they'll pretend to faint, and their dog is just like sits there for a second and, yeah. and stares and is like, uh, "That can't be right." And uh, I think that's kind of what the crayfish was was doing at the same yeah. time, um, <clears throat> and. So he goes bragging to his crayfish people, telling them how he conquered the man-eater, but of course we know you know that's not true. Right. So, yeah. so from there the story unfolds.
2: <laughs> the story is Aspen and the Crayfish. And Trent has informed you, of course, that Aspen is a raccoon. And the storyteller is James Brushak, and we're happy to bring
0: this story to you on the appleseed. This is the story of Azaban the Raccoon and the crayfish. One day, Azabon the raccoon was walking around the land, and it was getting past Azabon's lunch time, so Azabon, he was starting to get kind of hungry, and he began looking for something to eat. Well, lucky for Azabon, he was near a stream, and if you're a raccoon and you're near a stream, there's always plenty of good things to eat. So Azabon, he began to walk down towards this stream thinking about what he could eat. First Azabon, he thought, maybe, maybe I could be lucky enough to catch a big fat bullfrog. Azabon got a little closer to that stream and he thought, mmm, maybe, maybe I could be lucky enough to catch a trout under a rock. Azabon, he was almost to the edge of that stream and he thought, maybe, just Maybe I could be lucky enough to catch some crayfish. Because more than anything, raccoons love crayfish. Well, as Ozoban got to the edge of that stream, guess what happened to be sticking its little eyes on stalks out of that water? A little crayfish. Well, that crayfish saw a big, hungry-looking raccoon coming its way. And that crayfish seeing that raccoon went, Oh! underneath the water and hid underneath a rock, hoping that that raccoon didn't see it. Unfortunately for that crayfish, Azabon the raccoon had seen it. And Azabon, he began to wade out into that water and he put his hand on top of that rock that crayfish was hiding underneath. And then he took his other hand with five fingers, just like we have, and he began to reach underneath that rock. Now that crayfish seeing Azabon's hand coming under that rock, that crayfish did all that a crayfish person could do. It took one of its sharp claws and <coughs> pinched the end of Azabon's finger. Yow! Azabon pulled his hand out of the water. That really hurt. Now Azabon, he really wanted to eat that crayfish, but he didn't want to stick his hand back under that rock because he knew he would be pinched again. However, Being a trickster, Azabon, he thought of an idea that might help trick that crayfish out from underneath that rock, trick that crayfish, and maybe even get more crayfish. Because you know what's better than eating one crayfish? If you're a raccoon, is eating lots of crayfish. And so, this is what Azabon did. Azabon, he began to grab his stomach and go back and forth saying, oh, oh, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. I haven't eaten for days. Oh, I'm so hungry, I think I'm starving to death. Oh, oh no, I'm dying, I'm dying. He threw himself up on the shore, stuck his legs up in the air, and said, I'm dead. Now, that little crayfish stuck its eyes out of the water, and it saw that raccoon laying there on the shore, looking very dead. And that crayfish said, Yahoo, I have killed the man-eater. I have killed the great raccoon. I must go tell the chief of the crayfish people. Now that little crayfish scurried along the bottom of that stream as fast as his little crayfish legs could carry him, going to the place where the chief of the crayfish people lived. Meanwhile, Azabon, he just laid there on the shore, continuing to play dead. His plan was working. Now, While that little crayfish was traveling along the bottom of that stream, it started thinking of a story that it might be able to tell the chief of the crayfish people. A story that might make it look really good. And so once that little crayfish made it to the place where the crayfish chief lived, he went up to the chief of the crayfish people and he said, My Sagamore, my chief, I have done a great thing. You will be very proud of me. Now the chief of the crayfish people looked at this little crayfish person and said, What have you done, my friend? I, he said, I have killed the man-eater. I have killed the great raccoon. Now the chief of the crayfish people, he looked at this crayfish person, and he said, how did you do this? Well, that crayfish thought for a moment, and he said, oh, it was a great battle. We fought back and forth and back and forth. And finally, because I'm so strong, I threw that raccoon high in the air. He landed on his back and died. Now, the chief of the crayfish people, he wasn't quite sure if he believed that story. However, if there really was a dead raccoon along that stream, that would be a very good thing. Because not only do raccoons eat crayfish, but crayfish, they love to eat any dead animals they find along the side of the stream. And if there truly was a dead raccoon, that would be a big meal for the crayfish people. And so, the chief of the crayfish people, he gathered many people from the crayfish village, and they all traveled together along the bottom of that stream, and they went to the place where, sure enough, there lay Azaban. Now the chief of the crayfish people, he saw this raccoon laying there, and truly it looked very dead. However. He wasn't quite sure. He wanted to make sure that raccoon was really dead. And so he turned to the crayfish people all gathered behind him and he asked, Which one of you is brave enough to see that this raccoon is dead? Well, one of the little crayfish in the back raised its claw and the chief looked at him and he said, Very good, my friend. Go up and out of the water. Go up behind that raccoon laying on the shore and pinch the end of his tail with your claw. Then we will see if he's dead. And so, this little crayfish person scurried up and out of the water, went up behind Azaban laying there on the shore and (coughs) pinched the end of his tail. This hurt really bad. This hurt Azaban so bad that a little tear went down the side of his face. But he didn't move and he didn't make a sound. And the crayfish person didn't see that tear and went back in the water. Well, the chief of the crayfish people he was watching, but he still wasn't satisfied. He wanted them to try something else. So he asked, which one of you is brave enough to try this next thing? Well, another little crayfish person raised their claw, and he said, very good, my friend. You go up and out of the water. Go up to Azaban's face. Grab a hold of one of his whiskers and pull it out. And so, this little crayfish person, like the first little crayfish, scurried up and out of the water, went up to Azaban's face, grabbed a hold of one of his whiskers, and pulled it out. Oh, that hurt even worse than getting his tail pinched. That hurt so bad that both of Azaban's eyes watered. But he didn't move, and he didn't make a sound. And like before, the crayfish person didn't see it and went back in the water. Well, wouldn't you know it, the chief of the crayfish people still wasn't satisfied. He wanted them to try just one more thing to make sure that raccoon was really dead. And so he asked, which one of you is the bravest of the crayfish people? Well, then all of the crayfish, they raised their claws. But the chief picked one crayfish out, and that was the crayfish that had told him about the raccoon. And he said, my friend, you must go up and out of the water grab a hold of the end of azaban's nose, twist it all the way around as hard as you can, and pull on it. And so, this little crayfish person scurried up and out of the water, went up to Azaban's face, grabbed a hold of the end of his nose, and That hurt so bad that not only did both of Azaban's eyes water, they both crossed. But even though that hurt worst of all, Azaban didn't move and he didn't make a sound. And the crayfish people didn't see his eyes water or cross. And at that moment, the chief of the crayfish people yelled out, Yahoo! The man eater's dead! The man eater's truly dead! Let us celebrate! And then all of the crayfish people, they jumped out of the water, and they began to dance around Azaban. And as they danced, they sang a song. Yo, ho, the man-eater's dead. Yo, ho, the man-eater's dead. Yahoo, yahoo, yahoo. Yahoo, yahoo, yahoo. And they danced, and they danced, and they danced. And the whole time, Azaban, he laid there and continued to play dead, watching those crayfish. Because soon, those crayfish, they had danced so hard and so long that their little crayfish legs started to get kind of wobbly, and they started to get kind of out of breath, and they sang, Yo-ho, the man is dead, yo-ho, hoo," And soon, all of those little crayfish, they had to take a break. And so they all sat down on their little crayfish behinds, all around Azabon. And at that moment, Azabon jumped up and said, "Aha!" ha And he ate all of the crayfish people. So, the next time that a crayfish tells you that it killed a raccoon, are you gonna believe it? And another thing they say, they say that no matter how great an enemy is, You should never celebrate in their death. Otherwise, you might end up like those silly crayfish.
2: (laughs) A little fable from James Bruschek, the story Asban and the Crayfish. And a pleasure not only to listen to that story with you, but also with Trent Horton, one of our assistant producers. Trent, what do you love about that story?
3: I I just love the reaction of the crayfish people. And I don't know what it is about them, but it reminds me of of kind of like a pet dog, as I sure. mentioned earlier. Um, they're just so so happy. They're a little gullible, gullible you know. Yeah, believing yeah. that the raccoon is dead, but. <laughs> this makes me laugh.
2: James Brushak, of course, uh, part of the, the 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 venerable storytelling family, the Bruchaks. James and Jesse, the brothers, their father, Joseph Brushak, a prolific author and storyteller as well. We've played work from all three on The Appleseed, and we hope you enjoyed this story from James Bruchak, Asaban and the Crayfish. There's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. Trent, thanks for joining me for this tale.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'll see you in a minute. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment.
4: Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne.
2: It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. A moment ago, if you're just joining us, we heard a story called Asban and the Crayfish, a story told by James Brushak, a story about a tricky raccoon getting a crayfish dinner with a trick. And uh, coming up in just a little bit, you're going to hear a story from Heather Forrest, a story called Drake's Tale, a story about a duck with a lot of good friends and a little magical help that's coming up in a moment. But first, because we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes be the spark that ignites a story for you that you can share with the people that you love. Here's a memory of mine. It's a memory of playing frisbee with my grandpa. Is today's entry in the Radio Family Journal.
5: The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed.
2: My grandparents lived long, rich lives. They were often surrounded by family, they traveled, they had a backyard swimming pool, they played musical instruments, and they taught school, both of them, until they retired. My grandparents walked or ran most mornings. They climbed mountains together. They entertained together. They played tennis together. And they taught us boys to play tennis, too. They were strong, my grandparents. But my grandmother's passing when it came was no surprise. Hers was the very long goodbye of Alzheimer's. We saw the end coming from a long way off. My grandfather, on the other hand, hardly seemed old when my grandmother passed away, or at least not any older than he had ever been in the eyes of us grandkids. Sure, his hair was gray, he wore reading glasses, but he had, at least in our memories, always been that way. We had never known a time when he couldn't swim laps or jog around a track or take a long hike. We had never known a time when he couldn't make a home repair or walk to church. And I remember when that changed, or at least I remember when I first saw my grandfather as someone who was getting old. I was a grown-up when it happened. Grandpa had gathered the family at a local park for a picnic. It had been some time since we'd all been together. He was excited to host us all. Right along with the rest of us, he carried baskets of food and paper goods from his big Ford Taurus to the picnic site. He held one handle of a cooler full of soda pop, and I held the other handle. He helped spread a checkered tablecloth. He wore a pair of tan slacks and a light denim shirt that day and a hat to keep the sun off his head. He wore running shoes on his feet. He was dressed for an afternoon of activity with his children and grandchildren. Some of the littlest kids ran to the swing sets near where we had set up the picnic. I followed some of those little kids, taking on the job of swing pusher, if anyone needed me. And in the middle of the hustle and bustle of getting a picnic up and rolling, my grandfather called my name. I turned away from the swing set just in time to see the old man reach into the picnic basket and pull something out of that basket that was round and white like a big deep paper plate, only it wasn't a paper plate. It was a frisbee. My grandfather waved the frisbee at me, the advance notice that he was going to throw it to me, and then he did. He crooked his arm, cocked his hand, and rolled the frisbee off of it in a long, slow, steady glide toward me. It wasn't a perfect throw, but it was pretty good. I stepped once, twice maybe, and I was right behind it and caught it squarely in front of me. My grandfather was smiling, waving his hand like he wanted me to throw it back to him. So I did. I crooked my arm, cocked my hand, and let that frisbee fly. We were maybe 40 feet apart, my grandpa and I. And I got to be honest, his throw had been a little better than mine. Not a ton better, but a little better. He had to take about three steps to get behind the throw. But he got there. He caught the frisbee. But as he took those steps to get behind the frisbee, a look came over his face, a shadow crossed his countenance, a countenance that, just a moment ago, had been filled with nothing but the happiness of tossing a frisbee with his grandson. And when he caught the frisbee, he kept it, hung on to it. He walked back to the picnic table and put it back in the picnic basket. He didn't throw it back to me. And then he went about, cheerfully enough, with the activities of the picnic I think it had been a long time since he'd thrown a frisbee. I think he took those quick steps to get behind my throw and realized that his legs weren't the same legs he'd had the last time he'd tried to catch a frisbee. I think it scared him a little bit. I think he was a little embarrassed by it. He hadn't reckoned on getting old. But there it was, and I feel like I was watching when he suddenly learned what that little corner of getting old meant. It's inevitable, isn't it? It has happened or will happen to every one of us that moment when you realize you're not as fast today as you were yesterday, not as strong or as flexible. To tell you the truth, I've begun to notice that about myself. In one way or another, I can't climb as high or run as fast as I could I'm not trying to avoid getting older, there are treasures of wisdom and a kind of understanding of the world that comes with age and experience, so I've been told, and I feel like I glimpse that from time to time. But for dang sure, I also keep a frisbee in the trunk of my car, maybe I'm just fooling myself, but though it mostly sits underneath whatever else I've got in the trunk, grocery sacks and jumper cables and whatnot, I take it out for a throw. Whenever I can get someone to catch it.
5: The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it on the apple seed.
2: Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. Maybe it sparked a memory for you that you can share with the people that you love around the kitchen table or the living room. That kind of storytelling makes for memories that last a lifetime. In just a moment, you're going to hear from Heather Forrest, a story called Drake's Tale, and you'll hear an old tale from Alton Chung as well, a story called Taruki and Usagi. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? Stories come into our lives in so many ways. From families, passing them along, telling to telling. From the pages of great books, from radio and podcasts, through songs, the things we see on screen, and exploring all of the ways that great stories come into our lives and into our hearts and minds. It's part of what we love here on the Appleseed. I'm joined today by Gene Nelson. What a pleasure to have the director of the Provo Library with us. And the the Provo Library, Gene Nelson, is the best building in town.
6: Why, thank you, Sam. We think it's pretty (laughs) cool, too. I've had the chance to be there now for... Oh, going on 23 years, and so I was involved with the construction, renovation, design of it,
2: and I think we got it pretty just about right. A beautiful old building really sort of snatched from the jaws of oh, boy. not being with us anymore. It right? just
6: about died a very untimely death.
2: Yeah. And now, good heavens, what an ornament to, the, to this Thank place you. it is. Thank you. Yeah. And and of course, it's filled with books. You know, I think about the role that librarians played in my life. And one of the foundational stories of my life is when the librarian of my elementary school, Alpine Elementary School, uh, gathered all of the upperclassmen of the elementary school—the fourth, fifth, and sixth graders—into the into the, uh, the the media center we called it, right—and right? wheeled out on a cart a television set on which we watched the launch of the space shuttle Columbia. Oh wow! It, and and it changed all of our lives.
6: And right? that's your librarian. There that's, you go.
2: That's right. <laughs> well, you must have become acquainted with a book or two.
6: Uh, just a few. Just a <laughs> few. Over the years, I've had uh, some marvelous opportunities. I'm. This is my forty-second year wow. of being a librarian type of work, and yeah. had some great opportunities. Uh, have served on the John Newbery Award Committee. Oh, good heavens! Served twice on the Randolph Caldecott Committee. <laughs> so uh, that's a lot of books. Yeah, it's, that it's is. It's what I do. It's what I
2: love. But you've brought a favorite today oh, to I did. talk about.
6: Yeah, let me tell you a little bit about it. You know, I was thinking about books that really made a huge difference for me. Yeah. That maybe really sparked my real reading desire. My mom was a um, a high school dropout, hmm. and not really very well educated. But boy, she loved to read. Yeah, and so I remember I was about about four and a half, almost five, and she came home from the grocery store with this new book called The Cat in the Hat.
0: <laughs> the Cat and in the Hat.
6: I was just starting to get those, uh, figuring out those letters and those words. And she brought Cat in the Hat home from the grocery store. They used to sell them on little spinner racks, you know, for a song and a dance. I fell in love with reading. My mom read that to me, and it just opened the world up with the (laughs) rhyming, this slightly mischievous, rebellious cat. Sure. There's something a little naughty about that book, It fed right into me. (laughs) I loved it.
2: <laughs> the cat in the hat. Boy, h- how old were you when you discovered oh, that? Oh,
6: that was, I was must have been four and a half or five. That came wow. out in 1957. Man. And um, it really started, it gave me a chance to really think about what really got me started. And it really
2: launched this great love of reading in books. So you would look back to your mom bringing that book Absolutely. home from the grocery store as kind of what Bash's
6: Grocery Store in Mesa, Arizona. <laughs> that was the store.
2: And you you talk about a time when you know when you talked about uh, those books being available on on rotating racks in your grocery store in
6: the grocery store. That was
2: kind of another time, wasn't oh, it? Oh, it
6: was totally different. Yeah. And um so once I figured that out that when mom went to Bashas with her green stamps and traded those type of things in yeah. that they also had more cat in the hat type of books, I found myself <laughs> with my mom quite often Going to Bash's "Eh, just to see what's new down there. And, of course, she could hardly resist. They were just, I can't remember how much they sold for, but they couldn't have been more than 40 cents a piece. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, I had this great collection of Cat in the Hat and all the Mulberry (laughs) Street books and uh, One Fish, Two Fish and all of those books that are still very, very
2: popular with children today. Yep. I remember going to the store, much as you describe, and seeing on a similar rack uh, what would be my first experience with... Uh, superhero comic book. Oh sure, right. And I brought home I, I brought home an Incredible Hulk comic book, and my dad looked through it and with kind of a frown, he, <laughs> he thought I can just see yeah, that frown. <laughs> he thought the Incredible Hulk was maybe too violent for his I don't know six year old maybe. Right. So he took me back to the same store and bought me a handful of Scrooge McDuck.
6: Oh comics. sure. Yeah. yeah. And I was I was reading probably. About that same age, I was starting to get into the Riverside High books with uh, Jughead and the Archie comics and fall in love with Betty and all those other characters (laughs) because my parents felt the same way with some of the Superman, Batman stuff. It's a little bit too mature for you yet. So they send me on this this dating game with the the kids from Riverside.
2: (laughs) I loved it. You know, my dad saw uh, saw a little stack of those old Scrooge McDuck comic books in my closet just about a year ago. Really? And he he brought them into the kitchen where I was, and he said, How would you feel about me borrowing these? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. he was in the mood to get back to those Scrooge McDuck comic books.
6: And remember how excited you were to read through those things, and it energized you. Oh, yeah. And... We didn't have a lot of big TV shows or movies. Yeah. And so what did you want next? Gosh, I want the next installment. That's right. What happened to Scrooge with this next one or what happened with this major character? Yeah. And you become almost hooked on that.
2: And, of course, we didn't know then, as you didn't know when you were, you know, the age that you were when the Cat in the Hat came home, that you were... Uh, you are experiencing something that would be foundational. You so seldom do when you're having the experience.
6: Who right? would have guessed? Yeah. Who would have guessed?
2: Gosh, it's taken us back not only to some great books, but to an environment that hardly exists anymore. Going to the grocery store with your parents and being able to pull a book down off of the circular rack. It
6: was kind of like my first little library experience yeah. in a way.
2: <laughs> well, what a pleasure to have had you with Thank us. Thank you very Nelson. much. Thanks my so much pleasure for joining us. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. Such a pleasure to chat with Gene Nelson about an experience with a classic picture book. And there's a lot more coming up. Stick around. You're going to hear from Heather Forrest, a story called Drake's Tale, a story about a duck with a lot of good friends and some magical help. It's coming up. I'm Sam Payne.
7: You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment.
2: Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Apple Seed. And uh, up next, we've got a story from Heather Forrest, and this is a story about a dishonest king and a wealthy duck. Yep, you heard that right, a wealthy duck. And after the king borrows some money from the duck, the duck naturally is upset when the king doesn't pay the money back and goes to demand a return on the loan. Well, that's just the beginning of the story of this wealthy duck. It's called Drake's Tale, and you'll enjoy it. Here's Heather Forrest on the Appleseed.
4: Once upon a time in France there lived a wicked king who often made promises and promptly forgot them. Once, he borrowed money from a rich duck named Drake's Tail. With much pomp and ceremony, the king promised to pay back the loan. Rarely good to his word, however. The king considered Mm. the money his own. Mm. Drake's tail was infuriated when the king did not return the money. He paced in his parlor and muttered, A good king should always keep his word. I am going to the palace this afternoon and demand my money back. Drake's tail set off down the road, singing. I want my money back. I want it today. Donnez-moi de l'argent, s'il vous plaît. As he marched along to his tune, Drake's tail came upon his friend, Fox. Bonjour. Comment allez-vous? Good day. How are you? Asked Fox. Drake's tail replied, I am quite upset. I am going to visit the king to tell him he must keep his word and repay his debt to me. Fox said, oh, the king is wicked. He may not be pleased with your demand. Can I come too? Perhaps there's something I can do. One can never have enough friends. Drake's tail replied, then jump into my magic gizzard. Drake's tail had the unusual ability to shrink anything to a size that would fit in his throat. Fox shrank until he was the size of a barley seed. And into Drakestail's throat he went. Drakestail continued singing down the road. I want my money back. I want it to day. Donnez moi de l'argent, s'il vous plait. Farther along, Drakestail met his friends Ladder and River. Where are you going in such a rush? they asked. Drakestail replied, I am going to the palace of the Wicked King to demand my money back. Ladder and River said, Can we come too? Perhaps there's something we can do. One can never have enough friends. I agree, said Drake's tail. Jump into my magic gizzard. Ladder became the size of a grain of rice. River was as small as a drop. And into Drake's tail's throat they went. Drake's tail continued along, singing. I want my money back. I want it today. Donnez-moi de l'argent, s'il vous plaît. Drake's tail met one last friend, Wasp. Can I come too? Asked Wasp. Perhaps there is something I could do for you. And soon, Wasp was riding along the size of a millet seed in Drakestail's mm. magic throat. Mm. At long last, Drake's tail arrived at the palace and knocked loudly on the door. Donnez-moi de l'argent. Donnez-moi de l'argent. Give me my money back. My money back. The king was in the throne room when he heard Drake's tail's voice. He called for the guards and said, huh, "Throw that duck in the chicken house." The guards threw Drake's tail into the chicken house. When the chickens saw a duck in their midst, they charged at him and started pecking. Drake's tail called for the aid of his friend, Fox. Fox, Fox, be a friend indeed. Fox, Fox, I am in need. Aidez-moi, 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 please help me. In a blink, Fox jumped out of Drake's tail's gizzard and chased away the chickens. Drake's tail went back to the gate. Donnez-moi de l'argent. Donnez-moi de l'argent. The wicked king heard Drake's tail again. He called to the guards, "Throw that duck into a deep, dry well. Cast to the bottom of the well." Drake's tail called for the aid of his friend Ladder. Ladder leaped out of the magic gizzard, and up out of the well Drake's tail climbed. Angrier than ever, Drake's tail went back to the gate. Donnez-moi. De l'argent, donnez De l'argent, the wicked king told the guards, throw him in the royal furnace, and they did. As the flames licked at his feathers, Drake's tail called for the aid of his friend, River. River, River, be a friend indeed. River, River, I am in need. Aide-moi, 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 please help me. River washed the fire out, and Drake still went back to the gate. Give me my money back, give me my money back. The king couldn't believe his ears. Still alive? Bring that duck to me. Now, the king was a huge man. He put Drake's tail on the royal chair and sat on him. The king flattened Drake's tail until Drake's tail gasped for breath. Just then, the duck remembered one last friend. He called for the aid of Wasp. Wasp, Wasp, be a friend indeed. Wasp, Wasp, I am in need. Wasp came out of Drake's tail's magic gizzard and chased the wicked king off the royal throne through the palace door, down the road and across the countryside. And for all I know, that wicked man is still running. Meanwhile, Drake'stail sat up on the throne and fluffed his feathers. He decided to take the throne for himself drake's tale became a noble king whose praises still are heard he always kept his friends but above all kept his
2: word. Heather Forest with Drake's Tale here on The Appleseed. Up next, a story from Alton Chung. It's a story called Tanuki and Usagi about a badger, a mischievous badger, who plays tricks on an old man and an old woman. And the badger's friend, Rabbit, decides to teach him a lesson. Here's Tanuki and Usagi here on The Appleseed.
1: A long time ago in Japan, in a story that is older than the pine needles in a tree, there once was an old couple who lived in a farm at the base of a tall mountain near the sea. There was an old man, Jichan, grandfather, and his wife, Obachan, grandmother. Oh, they were happy on their farm in the shadow of that mountain. They loved the way the birds would sing them awake each morning and how the gentle breezes would whisper through the pine trees and fill their house with their sweet scent, and how Amaterasu, the compassionate goddess of the sun, would paint the sky with delicate shades of scarlet, tangerine, and persimmon before she slipped beneath the waves of the eastern sea. They were happy and content, until one day a mischievous tanuki, a badger, began to cause trouble on their farm. This tanuki would dig up their vegetable garden and then wipe his paws on their drying laundry. He would steal the eggs the chickens had laid, and sometimes he would even steal the chickens. Uh, One day, Jichan, grandfather, had had enough.
5: Uh, Tanuki, tanuki, I am going to set a trap for you right here by the chicken coop. Uh, I'll put some rice in there and then open the door, and when you come in the cage, ah, to get the rice, ah, I will catch you, Tanuki.
1: The next morning, Ji-chan went to check on his trap.
5: <laughs> I catch you, Tanuki, <laughs> trying to steal my chickens. <laughs> no more mischief for you. I will take you back to the house, where we can keep an eye on you. Oh, oh Tanuki, oh, you have to go on a diet, Tanuki. Atkinson for you, or oh, maybe South
1: Beach. Ji huh. chan, grandfather, took Tanuki up to the house and left him in Obachan's grandmother's care while he went out to tend the fields. But Obachan was busy. It was close to New Year's Day and she was making mochi. She was putting hot, sticky rice into an usu or mortar, adding a little water, and then turning the mochi, then picking up a uh, a kine, a heavy wooden mallet, and bringing it down onto the mixture. She then would put the mallet down and start all over again. Oh, it was hard work. Tanuki looked out through the bars of his cage.
5: Uh, uh, bachan, Bachan, uh, uh, that kine looks heavy.
7: Uh, uh, I can help
5: you. Uh, let me out of this cage and uh, let me help you
7: with the mochi. Hi, arigato gozaimasu, Tanuki. Ah oh, yes, thank you, Tanuki. I-, I could use some help. And Obachan,
1: grandmother, let Tanuki out of his cage and bent down to add water and to turn the mochi. Tanuki picked up the kine, the
7: wooden mallet, but instead of bringing it down onto the mochi, he brought it down on the top of Obachan's head. Oh, itai! Itai! It hurts! It hurts! Ah, ah, ah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And Tanoki ran away to the mountain and disappeared into the forest. The next day, down the mountain, came Usagi, the white rabbit. He was Tanuki's best friend, but when he had heard what Tanuki had done, oh, he was angry at his friend and was filled with shame. He brought a big basket of fruit to the house of Ji Chan and Obachan. Obachan, grandmother, was in the bed with a huge lump on her head. Oh, she was in pain, and Ji Chan, grandfather, was doing his best to comfort her.
7: Oh, Obachan, I am so sorry. So very sorry to hear what Tanoki has done. What Tanoki has done. Uh, and Obachan, uh, grandmother, and Jichan, grandfather, uh, I will make sure that Tanoki is punished, uh, th- th- that he is punished for what he has done, and that he will never, never again play another trick on you.
1: Osagi bowed deeply to Obachan and Jichan and returned to the mountain. Now, at this time, people used to gather firewood and carry it home lashed to a wooden frame pack. Usagi, he tied firewood to two wooden packs and carried them to Tanuki's house. Now, Tanuki lived in a smelly old hole at the base of a tall pine tree. Usagi set the packs down and began to eat chestnuts outside of Tanuki's house.
7: Oh, these are so good! Oh, so good!
1: After a while, Tanuki poked his head out of his hole.
5: uh Usagi, uh, what are you eating?
7: Oh, oh, chestnuts! Oh, they are so good, so good!
5: Uh, Usagi, uh, uh, may I, may I have uh some chestnuts? I, I am so hungry. Oh.
7: Oh, Of course, of course. Uh, you may have some chestnuts if you help me carry the wood back to my house.
5: Uh, of course, of course. Uh, I will help you. Uh, I am very hungry.
1: And Tanuki put on one of the wooden packs Who! and headed off. The two began going up a slope with Tanuki in the lead. Usagi then pulled out his flint and steel and began striking sparks into the wood. On Tanoki's back. Kachi kachi! Kachi kachi!
5: Uh, Usagi, uh, what is that sound? Uh, it sounds like, uh, Kachi kachi!
7: Kachi kachi! Kachi, kachi. Uh, 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 that is because uh, this mountain is called uh, Kachi kachi sama, or Kachi kachi mountain.
5: Oh, Wakarimasu, huh, I understand.
7: The friends
1: continued up the slope and down the other side, and by the time they reached the next slope, the fire had caught and was now beginning to burn. Crackle, crackle. Crackle, crackle. Uh, Usagi, uh what is that
5: sound? It sounds like, uh, crackle, crackle.
7: Uh, that is because this mountain is called, um, uh, crackle, crackle, summer, or crackle, crackle, mountain.
5: Oh, I understand. <laughs> uh, 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 what's that smell? Oh, <laughs> smoke. Someone is cooking something. Huh?
7: Oh, oh, It's me. It's me. Oh, Help, help, Usagi. Uh, I am on fire. Uh, what should I do? Oh, Tanuki, Tanuki. Uh, uh, you must jump into the water to put out the fire. Uh, to put out the fire. Oh, oh Usagi, oh, where is the water? In the river? Down in the valley, down in the valley. And so Tanaki began running down the trail
1: from the mountain down into the valley, leaving behind a huge trail of black smoke as the fire burned on the wood on his back. Ah! <gasps> ah!
7: <sighs> ah! <gasps> ah! <gasps> ah! 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 Ah!
1: Well, it was a while before Tanuki felt better. But Usagi, ah, he did not feel that his friend had been punished enough. So he built two boats and left them on the beach and went to find his friend.
7: Oh, Tanuki. Tanuki, it's such a beautiful day. Uh, how would you like to have some fish uh, some fish for dinner?
5: Oh, uh, Usagi, uh, I would love to have some fish for dinner, but uh, I do not have a boat.
7: Oh, do not worry, my friend, do not worry. I have built two boats for us down on the beach, down on the beach.
5: Oh, my friend, uh, uh, I am very hungry.
1: Uh, uh, let us go get some fish. And So the two friends made their way down to the beach.
7: Ah, Tanuki. Ah Tanuki, uh, I am light, uh, and I should uh, take a boat that's built out of lighter material, such as uh, wood. Ah, but you, my friend, you are heavy. Oh, so very heavy. Uh, you need to be in a boat that's built of heavy material, such as as mud. Such as mud?
5: Ah, oh, yes, uh, it is true. Uh, I am very heavy, but uh, uh, I will take the boat made of uh, a dried mud.
7: Ah, my friend, ah, my friend, Uh, uh, let us see, let us see who can catch the first fish, Uh, who can catch the first fish.
1: And so the two friends pushed their boats out into the bay. Now you all know what happens to mud, even dried mud, when it touches the water. That's right. It dissolves and falls apart. And what do you think happened to Tanuki's boat? That's right.
5: Ah, ah, I'm gonna beat you, Usagi. Ah, ah, I'm gonna beat you. Ah, ah, uh, what's this? Ha! Ah, 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 a little water. Ah, 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 I can just almost taste the fish now. Ah, ah. Oh, oh, oh! lots of water. Oh, oh! Uh,
7: help! Help! Usagi! Ah, ah, I'm sinking! Oh, Tanuki! Oh, Tanuki! You've been a very bad Tanuki. Ah! Uh, you must promise to apologize. Uh, to apologize to Obachan for hitting her on the head. Uh, uh, I promise, uh, I promise. And Tanuki, uh, you must promise, uh, you must promise never to play another trick uh, on no Obachan or uh, Jichan again. Uh, I promise, uh, I promise. Tanuki, uh, Tanuki, uh, do you swear? Tanuki, uh, do you swear? Uh, I, I, I swear, I swear.
1: Usagi then reached out with his paddle and saved his friend, pulling him into his wooden boat he then rowed them back to shore and walked his dripping friend to obachan and ji chan's farm uh obachan uh, i
5: am sorry for hitting you on the head with the kine, the, with the wooden hammer uh i am sorry and i apologize uh, and, and obachan and, and ji chan uh, i am also sorry for playing such so many so many tricks upon you uh, I will not do it again. Uh, please uh, forgive me.
1: And Obachan looked at the dripping wet tanuki and dried him off with a towel. And from that time on, Tanuki the badger, Usagi the white rabbit, Obachan grandmother and Jichan grandfather all became very good friends and lived long and happy lives. And Tanuki Never played another trick on a bachan or jichan again. <laughs>
2: A story about a mischievous badger learning a lesson. A story told for you by Alton Chung from a collection called The Spider Weaver and Other Tales. We're going to wrap up today with a song from Bill Harley. This is a song about how it's a pretty big world, a world big enough for the stories of everyone in it. A song called Big, Big World on the Appleseed.
7: Yeah, that's right, all right. Yeah, guitar, that
8: makes me move my hips. Play that kalimba. What's a limba? I don't know, look it up.
4: I'm born.
8: There's a little tree frog living on the banks of the Amazon. There's a blue whale swimming in the cold Arctic. There's a zebra running across the plains of Africa There's a bird outside my window And I hear it singing to me, it sings I hear it singing to me Yes, I do There are people I know, I see them every day In my town, while I'm walking down my street But for every friend that I know by name there's a billion living things that I will never meet. It's a big, big world. Something happened every minute. It's a big, big world. I'm more and more aware. It's a big, big world. I'm just glad I'm in it. It's a big, big world. There's room enough. Everybody let to share. That's right. lie in bed at night and I can feel the sun rising ten thousand miles away The wind is blown from halfway around the earth And it calls me to my window and I hear it say It says, it end to, to the sun of life Yes, it does I stand on a mountaintop, I feel so big And beneath the stars, you know I feel so small Somewhere between this earth and sky I finally learned that there's room for all It's a big, big world
5: Like a stream. In it we hear our history call, and it runs beyond us to where we can only dream, and the gift of life runs there through us all.
8: I know this world is big enough for all the life it holds. If our hearts could grow just a little bit more, it's a big, big world. Oh.
2: big Big World, a song filled with celebration by Bill Harley. And uh, that's it for us today on the Appleseed. Such a pleasure to be with you. You can join us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed for not only these full hour-long episodes of the show filled with stories for you and your family but also Appleseed extras. Tiny little episodes. Mini episodes just a single story long. Just a few minutes long in case you only have a few minutes and you want to fill them with a great story. If you go there today You'll hear a story called The Sad Story of Owl Another story from Heather Forrest Her Drake's Tale was a story that you heard in today's Hour of the Appleseed Again, you can find those extras at byuradio.org slash Appleseed Our producer is Jeff Simpson I'm Sam Payne And I can't wait to be with you again on the Appleseed Thanks for joining
4: us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation Made for you and your family And brought to you by the
0: Appleseed The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.